0: Hey there. Paula Poundstone here. Before we take you over to the Poundstone Institute, I want to suggest you check out NPR's Hidden Brain, hosted by Shankar Vedantam. Hidden Brain uses science and storytelling to help you understand the world around you and yourself. Wondering why it's so hard to change your best friend's views? Feeling like you're in a bit of a rut and need to get unstuck? Hidden Brain can help you with those questions and plenty of others. Find it on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey, you know, uh, Paul, there's an interesting piece of research just came in. You want to hear it? Yeah. A 2013 study found 10% of people say they've had sex at work.
0: Wow. How long do we have this room? (laughs) Uh,
1: You just created a hostile work environment for me. Uh,
0: Yeah. Is that, what is that, sex, what is that called? Sexual harassment. Sexual
1: harassment. (laughs) (laughs) No, 10%. 10% of people have had sex at work.
0: Wow. You guys...
1: Yeah, there's a couple of yeses.
0: Yeah, you, you know, you, would, you honestly, you would think the hotel industry alone
1: yeah.
0: would cover that 10%. Uh, somebody over here said they'd had sex at work? Yeah. <laughs> they're way in the back and they have a paper bag over their head. Uh, all right, I shudder to ask this, but what do you do for a living? <laughs> Technology. Oh, okay, then I'm yeah. not surprised. <laughs> 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 Was it with someone else?
1: (laughs) From NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where higher learning meets, dude, are you high? (laughs) Our quest for knowledge continues this week with some great news, a study that suggests disgusting slob might be just another word for genius so go ahead toss that chalupa wrapper on the floor and invent something and the science of forest bathing it's like a relaxing bath except you might get mauled by a bear plus saturday night live legend dana carvey finds out which board game he is by taking our poundstone personality survey i'm chief of research adam felder and now here's your host the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone!
0: Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Poundstone Institute, where real scientists come on and try not to talk down to us, even though that's precisely what they should do. All right, Adam, you're leading this quest for knowledge. Where are you taking us first?
1: Well, we're going to find out all about forest bathing. Do you know what forest bathing is, Paula?
0: I have absolutely no idea. Uh, <laughs> there was Forrest Tucker, but I'm assuming nope, he's not nope, involved. Nope. It
1: turns out a forest bath is a real thing that studies show can improve your health. Well, NPR correspondent Alison Aubrey has been covering this. She herself has taken a forest bath, and she lived to tell about it. She joins us now. Allison. welcome to the Poundstone Institute.
0: Hi there. Thank you for Thank having me. Thanks for joining us.
1: All right, Allison, first things first, what is a forest bath? When I hear it, I think of that Cialis commercial with the couple sitting in the bathtubs under a tree. Is that it?
2: Um, Let's see. I would say the best way to describe a forest bath is sort of a mindfulness retreat meets a hike, but not really like a destination-oriented hike, more like a meandering through the forest.
1: So it's not really a bath at all. That's, the, that's just the literal translation?
2: Well, exactly. When I was given the assignment to do a story about forest bathing, I packed my swimsuit. I thought, forest bath, maybe we'd be taking a little dip. I was meeting a certified forest bathing guide at Roosevelt Island, which is this little island in the Potomac River, and I thought, ah, you know, forest bathing will be getting wet. Turns out, no. It's more like bathing the senses It's more like an immersion Of all the senses into the sort of Natural environment
0: So you took this forest bath Yes um, Which means that you didn't take a real bath For a period of time because you thought
2: (laughs) That this
0: was going to cover you Uh, Someone actually calls themselves What was it? A forest bath? Yes, so here's the deal It's a
2: certified forest therapy guide So The whole point of forest bathing is sort of to slow down enough to really immerse yourself so you're actually seeing the sort of swaying of the trees, the ripple of the water, stuff that, believe it or not, we don't notice when we're so disconnected from nature. Or I say we, but I meant me. Like, I didn't notice these things when I first got into the park. I'm so used to being with my kids, so I'm like, oh, watch out for the ticks. Watch out for the boys' (laughs) ivy. So I'm not used to relaxing in this natural forest setting, but... I slowed down enough to really sort of be one with the forest.
0: You know, you don't sound like someone who often slows down, (laughs) Allison.
1: Let's back up a little bit. So this is a, this is a really big I'll thing. i take
0: it as a compliment, Paul. It is a compliment. No, you sound highly energetic.
1: Let, let, let's back it up just a little bit. because uh, I, I don't think we said at the outset that this thing is really big in Japan right now. And it's not just a walk in the woods. Is it, I mean, as far as I understand it, science has determined that trees are giving off something that produces physiological changes.
2: Yes. Trees give off these compounds that scientists call phytoncides. And so trees have these natural defense systems, right? They give off these little compounds to help act as, say, fungicides to keep fungus away. Now, when they release these compounds and we breathe them in, these little Japanese studies have found that we, when we inhale sort of like oil or the other fragrances and compounds from these trees that it can actually reduce our blood pressure
0: so all right so you did so you did it though you went and, and you said that you uh, so did you breathe in the f- what was it again? Phyton sides phyton
2: sides yeah and you've and you felt a change. You know, I ended up feeling really relaxed, but let, let me put it to you this way. It's sort of like when you do yoga and you have a great yoga teacher, Wait, you're going to right?
0: <laughs> Allison, you can't see me, so you have no way of knowing this, but I don't do
2: yoga. <laughs> um, okay, all right. Well, I'm just saying, in theory, when yeah. if you have somebody who helps you shows you how to do something really well and you have a good teacher, you're probably going to be better at it. Oh, right. I
3: see. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I
2: think the certified guide played a big role here. Yeah. Yeah. So did he say stuff like breathe now? Well, (laughs) she was a trained naturalist, so she was able to identify all of the plants we were walking by. So at one point, you know, I was sort of meandering by this very ordinary looking bush, and she said, hey, you know, scratch the bark here. This is a spice bush. And I... Scratched it and she smells like nutmeg, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then she explained this whole concept of fight on side.
0: So, do you, would you go do it on your own? I mean, like now, would you just scratch a bush without anybody telling you to? <laughs> and I did not I mean that in the way it came out. <laughs> i
2: mean that on my own. Um, let's see. I maybe wouldn't go scratch a bush in the, in the forest, but I think that it did give me some some tips or some tools to remember to slow down a little bit.
0: Well, Allison, I want to thank you so much for educating me on the benefits of forest bathing. I used to shy away when my dog rolled in dead stuff in the woods, but now I know the right thing to do is just get down there and roll with him. <laughs> I love your reporting. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. It's
2: been fun. Have a great night.
1: Allison Aubrey is a science correspondent for NPR. Allison, thank you so much for joining us on the Boundstone Institute.
0: Anybody here live in a wooded I- area, which is a weird thing to ask when we are on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, so somebody said yes. Say that. say that again. I
4: live in the jungle of Hawaii.
0: You, you live like in the jungle, jungle of Hawaii? Yeah. Really? How did you get here? I grew up here, so I came to visit family. And do you find that you're more relaxed when you're there than when you're here? Absolutely. <laughs> but that could be because of the family thing, right? In, the, in, in large part, yes. yes. I mean, you, you, when you relax, it doesn't involve family. <laughs> exactly. So what, what, So, uh, so visit, uh, what do you do in Hawaii, Jungle Woman?
4: Um, (laughs) I'm a baker at a yoga retreat center.
0: She's a baker at a yoga, a yoga retreat. So probably when people praise your baked goods, it's never louder than this. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Paula, it's time to thank some folks for supporting the Institute.
0: We want to thank ZipRecruiter. If you're looking for top talent for a job that matters, and really, who looks for top talent for a job that doesn't matter? If it didn't matter, you'd just pick a candidate out of a hat, right? So of course your job listing matters. And with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Plus, with ZipRecruiter's powerful technology, you can get your job listing to exactly the right candidates. Then you can use ZipRecruiter's simple dashboard to sort through the candidates and pick the right hire. That's why 80% of jobs on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just one day. Try ZipRecruiter for free. You hear that? Free at ZipRecruiter.com poundstone. We also want to thank Discover. You check things all the time, like your email or social media or your hourly rank on iTunes list of comedy podcasts. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? How about that, huh? I've never checked my credit score before. I just walk around with a dark, foreboding feeling. But it turns out Discover makes it quick and easy with the Discover credit scorecard. Discover is offering FICO credit scores to everyone for free, even if you're not a customer. Again, free. And once you know your FICO credit score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Some limitations apply, but check it out at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Here at the Institute, we don't just talk about other people's studies. We also conduct our own, which is why each of you had your ear tagged on the way in today.
1: (laughs) And the question we've asked our audience this week is, do you have a recurring dream? And if so, what is it? What about you, Paula?
0: Oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a recurring dream. What is it? Uh, I have a dream. It's embarrassing. I, I have a dream that um, I am walking down the hall of my high school, and my high school math teacher, F- Fay Roup, uh, stops me. Faye Roop. Fay Roop. And uh, she says, uh, why weren't you in class today? And I panic, and I start to make the excuses that I always made when I was in high school, and then all of a sudden it dawns on me that the answer is, I'm 57. <laughs>
1: Well, right now, our statistics department is crunching the numbers on our audience's dreams, and we'll have those results for you a little later in the show. Also, Dana Carvey will stop by to participate in some research and find out which board game he most resembles.
0: Okay, Adam, let's continue our search for knowledge. Where does our next attempt at n-smartening take us?
1: It takes us into the science of messy desks. We're about to cover some research that finds having a cluttered workspace tells us something very interesting about ourselves. First, I should ask, Paula, would you describe yourself as a messy person?
0: Well, my desk is cluttered.
1: Your desk is cluttered? Yeah. All right, well, it turns out new research shows us that having a messy desk May be a sign of creative genius. Yes, you win. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm joining so us excited. now, joining us now to talk about it is Kathleen Vose. She's a professor at the Carson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Kathleen, welcome to the Poundstone Institute.
4: Oh, thank you.
1: So, Kathleen, we saw a few headlines about your study, like "messy desks a sign of genius." Now, we know that's a bit of a stretch, but can you tell us what they're getting at?
4: Yeah. What they're getting at is that we did this study where we put people into messy rooms or tidy rooms and clean rooms, and what we see is that when people are in a messy room, they become much more creative than if they're in a tidy room. Oh,
1: wow. Now, what kind of messiness are we talking about? Uh, Can somebody go overboard? Does your study involve old food?
4: (laughs) No, in fact, it's not... Disgusting, and it's not about dirt or um, anything that's kind of moldy. It's more just about things being out of order. There's a lot of papers on the desk. There's a lot of disheveledness Like things are just kind of just strewn all around.
1: It's about and disorder.
4: It's, yeah, like disorder, right? Exactly. And then we used uh, in the other room. We use the same kind of books and papers and such, but they were just organized in a very like tidy way with piles, et cetera.
0: So how did you do the study where the people, uh, uh, the the people didn't create the disorder then they were just put into the place with the disorder. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah. So
4: we put them in these rooms and then we told them that we wanted them to imagine that there's a ping pong ball factory. (laughs) <laughs> and the ping-pong ball factory realizes it's just making way too many ping-pong balls. What else could they encourage their customers to do with the ping-pong balls? And we wanted them to generate as many new ideas for ping-pong ball uses as they could.
1: And you found more creative responses from the people in the messy room? Mm-hmm, Yeah. Did you ask them to do anything else, or is it, or are you strictly in the narrow field of ping-pong ball creativity?
4: <laughs> well, we kept it to ping-pong ball creativity, for that one. What if people were
0: coming up, like what if they were coming up with these genius ideas about all sorts of stuff? You you know, like solving this problem and solving that problem. But you were like, no, just ping pong balls. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And and so thousands of (laughs) life-saving, you know, uh, poverty-fighting, education-improving ideas were just thrown out the window. Yeah, um, so that you could come up with well, they make good packing
4: that was actually <laughs> one of the literally one of the solutions in the low creativity we I mean, had them stored oh. Right? Oh. All right,
0: well, no no no, All right. no be, Kathleen oh. let me just say this <laughs> this is not my desk I mean I'm using it but She's it's been
1: put in a very orderly environment otherwise yeah. she wouldn't have come up with such a dull lifeless I, I, I totally uncreative idea
4: that. Some people did say sort of pecking, like instead of pecking peanuts, other people said this is the low-creativity things like um, beer pong, which is a game that... Oh, boy, that is is really low-creativity. ...that already uses ping-pong balls, so, right? But,
0: yeah, no, let me just say, as a ping-pong player... (laughs) <laughs> Those are not ping pong balls. Oh no! Yeah, no. You go like in the grocery store; they'll sell these really cheap ping pong balls right. that are—they're obviously for beer pong. And you know, <laughs> I, I, I i am no longer a drinker, but I must say, if you want to drink, just do it. Don't put the ball <laughs> in the cup. <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you know, yeah. at least. Sure. Kath, Kathleen, let, let me let me let me ask you—I uh, think an important question to this: Why? why do you think a messy desk or a messy environment makes you more creative? I mean, I I have my theories, but is, is it because creativity is kind of a subversive thing? Like you're encouraged to break the rules and think outside the box. And to do that, you need a few papers outside the box.
4: Yeah, Adam, you're exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. The idea is that So many things in life, probably more like 90% of things in life that go well, they do well because we follow the rules and we do what's expected of us. And so in tons of other studies, we found that if you're in a very tidy and clean room, you do what's expected of you. You donate to charity. You choose an apple for a snack more than a chocolate bar. But we were like, there's got to be something that benefits from being in a messy environment because nature is messy and most of human existence has been in this nature, kind of almost chaotic environment. And we were like, oh yes, if you're following rules and you do what's expected, then you're not creative. And that was the light bulb that went off. I
0: love
1: that. So Kathleen, is there a bell curve to this? Like at a certain point your mess means you're a genius, but after that you're a slob? Did you do any kind of quantitative messing? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, well, we did and didn't. We sort of came at this from a couple of directions, but what we see is that I think for creativity, there's a, just a strong straight-up trend, like the messier things are, the better, and that comes from, like, Einstein's desk. There's this picture of his desk the day that he died, and it's overflowing with mess, and the floor is filled with mess, and by that I mean just, like, a lot, a lot of books and a lot, a lot of papers. Uh, in
0: that picture of his desk, there's a crumpled up paper on the floor that says E equals MC cubed. <laughs> right.
1: Good thing he lost that one.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Let me ask you one more question, Kathleen. What kind of message are you sending to kids with this study? Because uh, I, I have a kid or two, and I, I worry <laughs> that like when I tell him to clean his room or make his bed or something like that, that I can get this study thrown in my face.
4: Well, you. Could Although, you know, mostly for kids, you want to socialize them so that they do follow rules and kind of go along with what's expected. So you do want them to, to clean up. And, but there are cases in which it wouldn't be good to be in a messy environment. Like if your kitchen is very clean, your kitchen table, you probably want your kid to be doing his or her math problems at the kitchen table. But creative writing, back up in the room, like with the math.
1: And, and, and should, should anyone who's stuck on a problem consider making a mess?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Kathleen, I just want to say you have made me a happier person. I used to look at my mess and think, didn't I have 14 cats and three kids? I only count nine and two. <laughs> but from now on, I'll look at my mess and think, I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> it's great research, and you have my undying gratitude. <laughs> thank
1: you. Kathleen Vose is a professor at the Carson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us at the Poundstone Institute.
0: Thank you both. Uh, and, and anybody here with a totally messy desk? Yes. Yeah. Oh, a whole chorus of them over on this side. Uh, is there anybody who has a creative job and a messy desk? Yeah. Oh, I hear a yes back there. It sounds like a, a lady. Wait, yeah. So what job? I'm a costume builder and a costume designer and I make uh, tiny clothes for tiny puppets. Oh, I love that idea.
1: Tiny clothes for tiny puppets. Is that on your business card?
0: Uh, actually, yes. No I, no, I don't have it on my business card. I work on a TV show that's on Amazon called Tumble Leaf, and it's uh, animated, stop-motion animation, and it's uh, for preschool kids. And all of the little animals who live in the forest wear costumes. Nobody's naked because it's a kid's show. <laughs> and somebody has to make the clothes, and... Uh, and it's me. So they can't have naked uh, animals. Well, it's a kid's show. Yeah. Oh no, it makes all the sense of the world.
1: <laughs> I don't know, I take, I take my kids to the zoo all the time and they, they handle that nudity just fine.
0: Yeah, no, not me. When, we go, when, I, when my kids were little and we'd go to the zoo, I would always bring like a little robe to throw over. <laughs>
1: Hey, we have another friend of the Institute to thank.
0: Yeah, we want to thank our favorite mattress maker, Casper, a sleep brand that offers obsessively engineered mattresses featuring Casper's supportive memory foam for just the right sink and bounce. So that's what memory foam is. I always thought you laid down on it and it said you forgot to lock the front door. Your keys are on the counter and your car is parked on the wrong side of the street. But no, Casper's memory foam gives you just the right sink and bounce. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit. So try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Isn't that amazing? Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com poundstone and use promo code poundstone because everybody knows poundstone also has just the right sink and bounce casper.com slash poundstone check it out still to come we find out what percentage of people have recurring dreams and what they are but first we need to administer the poundstone personality survey
1: (laughs) when the uh, poundstone institute was founded long long ago you might remember that Uh, God was like, seventh day rest, eighth day found Paula's Institute. But um, since then, we have been collecting data that allows us to hone in on a personality type by asking only three questions.
0: Today, our test subject is none other than Garth himself, Dana Carvey. Dana, welcome to the Poundstone Institute.
1: Wow!
3: Thank you.
0: Dana, your impression of uh, George H.W. Bush was legendary, but when I think back on Bush the Elder, I think of the phrase, wouldn't, wouldn't be prudent. H- how do you do it? Do it how you do it.
3: Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's okay. almost its own dialect, isn't it? It's so, it's, it's, you know what, I. And this is not a joke. I use it to comfort myself because I just make lists as him. Like right now it would be like Paula, Institute, show. Podcast, coming on, talking, phone, awkward.
0: Did he ever say wouldn't be prudent, or did you just make that up?
3: I teased it out, but he would say, he, he, maybe he said it once, wouldn't be prudent. He said it once, but I don't know if he ever really, I, did a, I added a lot of hooks in there that I don't think he ever did. Like one was like, it's bad, bad. I don't think he ever did the loud yelling whisper thing. But by the time I got through with him, even he was confused. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> My guess is after he heard you do him, he did a lot of those phrases like around the house.
1: Yeah, because he was like, oh, suddenly I have a personality. Great.
3: Right. Well, it, it, took, it took me a year to get it because after Reagan, we didn't, you know, it was like Lorne Michaels like, well, you, you'll do George Bush. And I saw the tape and there was just nothing there. Yeah. So it's like for a whole year, it was like, hi, I'm George Bush. Folks at home, if you can't, do an impression. When you start doing it, just say the name of the purse you're doing <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. Hi, I'm George Bush, and they believe it. It's like hypnotism. But then over <laughs> your period with, with Senator Al Franken and Jim Downey, we kind of hashed out that character of, of George Herbert Walker Bush. <laughs> good news is it's down in that throat area, right down in that, that there. And then when Obama came along, it was the first non-throated, he had a kind of a baritone, which only, you know, it was very tough to get down, get down deep, do the things like this, you know. Oh, I nice. can teach you, Paula, to do uh, Obama right now.
0: Oh, I love that idea.
3: Okay, so this is how you do it. So say, just say, that's not true.
0: Uh, uh, that's not true. Say it as Paula. Yeah, that's not true.
3: And then as Obama, you just go, that's not true. Oh. <laughs> I don't stone- sound you, you, you just don't quite Announce the That's not true That's not true
0: That's it Yeah I, I sound more More like Yogi Bear When I do it <laughs> uh, Okay Now How do you do Trump?
3: Oh you know I just do my own version of it I, I do him kind of effeminate I don't know why I do him The first time I did him I did him just Putting on chapstick So good So nice Lips Lips so soft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you go into the voting booth, do you, do you vote uh, based on who can bring us together as a nation to reach our goals, or do you vote based on who you can do an impression of? <laughs> oh,
3: totally by the impression. <laughs> Incredibly. <laughs> Oh, I voted for Arnold. I wrote him in, you know. You know so, so, so. I could make America great, in Calif- Caledonia, I did, it, it did it, you know, So yeah, i go by the voice.
1: Okay, it's fun and games is fun, but we do have an important research goal here that we have to get to. So Dana, you're gonna answer three questions, and today we'll be using that data to determine which board game you, Dana Carvey, most resemble. Are you ready? Okay.
0: Question number one. An asteroid is headed for your house and you can save only one possession, what is it?
3: I would say my guitar.
0: Is it? How old is the guitar?
3: Um, it's a 2002. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful Taylor guitar. And um, if, if an asteroid hit it, um, ironically, I would gently weep.
0: <laughs> okay, question number two. What talent or skill would you most like to have that you don't have?
3: Uh, to really play the piano well and really sing well. Yeah. I would like to be Billy Joel with a head of hair. All
0: right, question number three. You're flying southwest. There are three seats left. One is next to a screaming baby. One is next to a man who wants to tell you about a startup. And one has a 50% chance of getting sucked out of the window of the plane. Which do you choose?
3: (laughs) I would take the startup guy.
0: You would invest, wouldn't you?
3: Yes. I don't really, I'm not a good flyer. I mean, the question actually kind of frightened me and and adrenalized me because I've developed a terrible fear of flying. I just really don't, I'm assuming it's pretty much over any slight turbulence. Because I've had bad flights. I've seen, once you've seen a flight attendant burst into tears, you're never the same on an airplane.
0: Yeah, but you don't know what she's crying about. I was flying, I think it was to Atlantic City. I was on some sort of small connecting flight to New, Jer- to, to New Jersey from, I don't know, I guess mm-hmm. New York probably. And, and, and um, uh, the, we hit turbulence and the flight attendant uh, at the back of the plane um, got down on our hands and knees and crawled to the front of the plane. And while she went by me, she said, put your seatbelt on. <laughs>
1: Okay, okay, we're gonna now run your responses to the survey through the computational device we have, or as it's more commonly known, the computationator. And. Uh oh. Here you go, Paula.
0: All right, all right, hold on. Ah, just as I predicted, you are the board game sorry. Marked by ambition to get around the board first, you are nonetheless polite. So when. Tanking the career of a politician with one of your viciously funny impressions, you always stop to say, sorry. That's probably true. I'm what you call an empath.
3: It's like some kind of alien psychological disorder of being overtly empathetic, which can be self-destructive. But yes, I'm in deep psychotherapy. Well, actually, while we,
1: <laughs> while we were doing our research this week, we came upon an interesting factoid about sorry. When it's sold in Germany, this is true, Sorry is translated to man, don't get frustrated. <laughs> and interestingly, in Germany, Candyland is Sausage Garden. <laughs> just, just how it translates.
3: That's fantastic. Who, why would you have candy when you could
1: have sausage? Yeah, welcome to Sausage Garden. <laughs> Dana Carvey is a Saturday Night Live legend, a master impressionist, but to us, he will always be the Church Lady. Dana Carvey, thank you so much for joining us on the Poundstone Institute.
0: Thank you so much, Stan. I really appreciate it.
3: My pleasure. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Let's take a moment to hear about something you can listen to once this episode of the Poundstone Institute is over.
1: Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. My new podcast is called It's Been a Minute. That's another way of saying let's catch up. Every Friday, I'll sit down with two guests, smart talkers from inside and outside NPR to catch up on the week of news and culture, everything. If you can't stop watching the news, but you're also exhausted by doing that, this show is for you. Don't miss out. Find It's Been a Minute now on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Okay, okay. The results of our studio survey are in. We asked our audience, do you have a recurring dream? And if so, what is it? And 67% of people say they do have recurring dreams.
0: All right, let's see what everybody's dreaming about. Uh, my teeth fall out. Oh, you know what? I think I've had the, the teeth fall out one before. I saw, a lot of people were shaking their heads. A lot of people have the teeth fall out one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's apparently an anxiety about a loss of control in your life.
0: Is that true? That
1: is what I'm I have not read. I'm
0: sure that I believe in this dream interpretation thing.
1: Well, thanks for subverting our study.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, that just means, no. I don't believe in the interpretation.
1: You believe in gathering the data?
0: Uh, certainly I believe in gathering da- the data, of course. Uh, I, what we're trying to do is marketing for soup. <laughs> what is your recurring dream? Um... I used to dream that I was stuffed with straw like the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, and the monkeys would try to set me on fire. (laughs) See, this is why I don't believe in dream interpretation. Right. Yeah, because if you really were to interpret dreams, uh, this person shouldn't be out and about. (laughs) Uh, What is your recurring dream? I'm late for a math exam for a class. I forgot to attend all semester. I'm 53. <laughs> what, uh, what is your recurring dream that I have forgotten to go to a class all semester and it's the day of the final exam what the? and I just never remembered to go? Boy, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people have this uh, same one. There's none in here I'm noticing from a teacher that's giving an exam and no <laughs> students show up. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your recurring dream? I have a huge wad of gross gum in my mouth. And no matter how much I pull out or spit it out, there is always more gum stuck in my mouth. I have that one too! Uh, Okay, what is your recurring dream? A nightmare where I owe my boss all these spreadsheets, even though I've never used a spreadsheet. (laughs) And I have no job. This show, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just a simple note like, I don't know, uh, a fun listen, or this is the greatest show in the history of podcasts, almost as if the human ear evolved over millions of years just for the moment this show debuted. <laughs> leave your review at Apple Podcasts. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Poundstoneinst, Inst. That's at Poundstone I N S T. I hate to say it, but that does it for today's show. Our distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our chair apparent is Ken Lizebnik. Our chair Jordan is David Green. Our Sonnian chair is Franny Kelly. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. Special thanks to John Cohn and his pals at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Bonnie Burns, and the folks at NerdMelt. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Colon with engineering from Tony Federico. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is somewhat sheepishly distributed by NPR. (laughs) You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, live from the Poundstone Institute. Are you serious? This is NPR?